Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, hey, it is my privilege to get to come and hang out with you guys today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Keep coming, finding your seats. We may need to scoot in a little bit to find a little space here and there for folks coming in a little bit later. All that says, I could not be more excited about where we're going today in the text. It's one of those two where if you're in the line of work that I am in, right? Whenever Mother's Day comes, if you guys don't know this, I'll let you know. In terms of the church world, it is the second highest, typically, attended Sunday throughout the year. Which one leads more, Christmas or Easter? I don't really remember that. But it's one of those where it tends to happen. So here's what a lot of times happens when you come. is you set up, there's this specific Mother's Day talk where you speak to moms, speak to grieving moms, speak to everybody across the spectrum. Call them all to faithfulness. And that would be wonderful if we did that. That would absolutely be a great move, a way to care for moms, a way to love moms, a way to do the right thing. If you've been tracking with us, though, we've been working our way through James. And we are at the last section of James. And while I came to this text this week, it's one of those, if you know the book of James, it's just a letter in the Bible. While I came to this text this week, here's what it really speaks to. It totally speaks to moms. It speaks to anyone. Anyone here, if you happen to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, James has something for you, but it absolutely speaks to moms. Right, so many times you stop and think, man, I wonder why Mother's Day is the second highest attended day. And the tragic reality of that is that far too often, and I'm not trying to start out by being rough with folks, but far too often, mom sets a spiritual pace in the home. Mom is the one who leads. Mom who has to come and almost use Mother's Day as this guilt trip. Hey, I need you to come to church. Here's what's true if that's you, welcome. Here's what's true if you are that wife's husband, welcome. Right, what we wanna talk about today not only strengthens moms, but it strengthens families. It strengthens those who aspire to be moms. And it's with that, man, let me pray and we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you for the privilege of a gathering like this, for a morning where we can come and celebrate what you're doing in the life of every person. Moms, those who, Lord willing, one day will be moms, those who right now sit and grieve the loss of their mothers, the children that they wish were here celebrating with them. But Father, what we wanna do is come and strengthen our hearts towards you. We are asking you to do what only you can do, and that is to bring about change. Help us to love you more. Help folks who don't know you to come to know you for the first time. I can't do that, but you can. Wherever you are, just in your seat, if you would, if you have a faith, take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life. If y'all would, take the next 10 seconds and please pray for me, that I'd be helpful and my words would be God's. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. It is in your name that we are asking you to come and bring change. We love you. Amen. 
My wife right now, her name's Taylor, and I have a young daughter named Lily. They're actually out in East Texas. <clears throat> her family's all there, so they went to spend a Mother's Day hanging out with them, which meant I basically ended up having a weekend by myself. Yeah, a bunch of people are looking at me like, congratulations, congratulations. No, I had a great time. It was fun, but obviously what happens is I miss them, right? I, especially if you don't know me, I am more introverted than I am extroverted to where when they go away, I honestly, I stay to myself. I have a great time, but it's been one of those where even as they left yesterday, all throughout the day, I'm texting my wife, I'm getting photos of my daughter, I'm hanging out, I'm chatting with them every chance that I can get. Why? Because man, I wanted to talk with her. The reason that that's kind of front of mind for me this week is where we are We had a lunch this past week with some friends. My wife and I, man, by the grace of God, we have a strong, a good, a fun marriage. But one of the things that I want more and more to be true is a stronger, a better, and a more fun marriage. So one of the things I did was we just looked around and said, okay, who's a marriage that we really admire? Who's a marriage that we really look up to and say, hey, I'd like to continue down the same path that God has seemingly been leading them? And now the privilege of that is I could have done it with a lot of couples here. But there was one that's just consistently stood out. I'll brag on my friends Cole and Jen real quick if you know them. It's one of those, every time you get around Cole, and and he and I were in community group together, and he talks about his family, his wife. Here's his attitude. Dude, I can't wait to get home. Like, I can't wait to go home to see my family. Like, on the weekend, John, I don't really want to hang out with you. Why? Because I can hang out with her. And it was one of those ways he was telling me this, because I've heard it so many times. I started to think about my own home life. And, man, I look forward to going home, but he can't wait to get home. Like, for me, almost imagine, right, like, he shifts up when he gets home. He gets something better. When I go home, it's like I just shift horizontally. It's like I just change lanes more or less. I sat down with them and I said, hey, man, my wife and I, we want to continue to take ground. One of the things I know that's true is a great marriage is worked for. A great marriage is cultivated. A great marriage is labored for. And we just sat there, went and ate some Mexican food up there at Casa Garcia's over lunch and just said, hey, man. We're not coming to you as some marital guru. We know you are imperfect and you are broken and busted. But man, remind us what is true. What has set you guys up for success? I mean, he and she, they went through and they loved us so well. They honestly, they did not tell us anything that was new. There was nothing that they said where I was like, you know what? In all of God's word, I did not see that coming. None of that was true. But you know what they did? They reminded me what I already knew was true. There was a whole bunch that they said, like a whole bunch of great marital counseling, great counsel, care for us, all that kind of stuff. But there was one thing I can remember sitting there and being like, oh, you are so right. It was right about the time we ran out of salsa, right? Yeah, that's kind of, I I think about meals in stages, chips, salsa, meals, you got to plan the whole thing. But I can remember they shared, hey, John, how do you do it communicating with your wife? I remember thinking, it's like, well, we talk, you know. I invited her here. (laughs) Pretty good talking. How was your day? Fine. You know, a lot of conversation. 
And he said, no, two ways. How do you do it talking with your wife throughout the day? And then how do you do it talking with your wife at the end of the day? Now, here's what was great. As Cole, he knows something. He says, hey, John, I understand that you, as well as a lot of people, just because of a work relationship, you can't just sit there and send romantic text messages to each other throughout the day. That's not realistic. You can't just come home and after having a long day, have this huge emotional download where you sit there and you swim all in the fields and just talk about the day. That's not realistic. But man, how are you still doing at it? I can remember sitting there and thinking to myself, you know, if I'm honest, I don't really talk with her much throughout the day. I I don't really send her thoughts of, hey, I'm thinking of you or how are you doing? Like he looked at me and he said, hey, man, a random I love you will do more than you will ever know. And here's what's true. You know why I know that's true? That's true of God's relationship with me. Any time throughout the day where I'm talking with God, reminding myself of my love for him and his love for me, you know what happens? That relationship is strengthened. I spent time with Cole and Jen talking about marriage and the simple reality of, hey, man, if you want to continue to have the marriage that you want in church, this is true. This is also true if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus. You want a better marriage than what you have? Talk with them. Good times, the bad, talk with them. See how it goes, right? If it gets crazy, come talk to us. We will help you. But he just said, man, talk with her. Communicate with her throughout the day. Have time with her at the end of the day. Here's why I love that. This, this couple, they've been married 20 plus years, seen highs and lows, mountaintops and valleys. And here's something that's true. Communicating with someone you love makes the good times better and it makes the bad times better. Y'all track with that? Like communicating with someone you love makes good times better. Here's what it also does, makes bad times better. It was such a great reminder as I sat there and I'm like, this is nothing amazing, but it is amazing. And here's the amazing part is it just marks a marriage. And I know I'm starting with marriage. It marks a marriage. It marks a dating relationship. It marks a friendship. It marks a community group with a sense of perseverance to it. You and me, let's keep going. I want all of you, the good, the bad, let's keep talking it out as we go. Man, here's why I'm so excited about this passage. Is that is exactly what James wants to remind me and he wants to remind you of today. Like here's what's true in the same way with marriage. Like I didn't go and hear something that was amazing, awe-inspiring, never heard of it. I reminded, I was reminded, excuse me, of something I already knew that was true But the way that I was living, I wasn't acting like it was true. What James is going to talk about today, that what we are going to focus on is a relationship that communicates with God, a relationship that talks with God in the good times and in the bad. In the church world, we call that prayer. We are going to spend time today talking about how prayer is a mark, is a catalyst, is a requirement for perseverance. No matter what life brings to you, because it's one of those, my wife and I, we stood there and we said in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in plenty and in want, till death do us part. And you know what you need in order to really honor those vows? Perseverance. 
Like if you're here and the Christian faith is newer to you, here's what's true. The Christian life is a better life. It really is. It leads to joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. It is the abundant life. Here's what's also true of the Christian life. It's hard. Like there's things that Jesus calls you to say no to you don't want to say no to. There's moments of pain and illness and suffering where he says, count it joy. There's moments where in your life things won't make any sense. And you'll stop and you'll think there's no way God is in the midst of this, that God is doing something good. And he just says, trust me. What's true of marriage, what's true of relationships, what's true of community groups is what's true of your relationship with God. It is true. It is right. It is lovely. But it takes perseverance. That's what I want to spend our time talking about today. How a faithful life is a life marked by perseverance and how a faithful life is a life marked by prayer. There is no perseverance without it. I think this matters so much because so many times when you come to a church, when you come and you hang out with Christians, you can talk about prayer and it's like this, at least, at least for me, it's like this automatic built-in guilt trip. Right, because everyone, here's the, here's the command as Christians, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Now what that means is there's an attitude of prayer. Not that you just live every minute actively on your knees, eyes closed, hands bowed in prayer. That's activity. But one of the things that I really think matters, especially on a day like this, like Mother's Day, is prayer. It's this amazing, of course, that I don't utilize enough. It's this amazing, of course, that I don't think God's church, his people, those believe in him, utilize Enough. I've heard it said before, the greatest mystery in heaven will be prayerlessness on earth. Now, what won't surprise God, what shouldn't surprise us, is if people who don't believe in him aren't marked by prayer. That makes sense. But man, if we come and we really believe he loves me more than anyone has ever loved me, he is the one that teaches me what unconditional grace looks like feels like and calls me to. If he is the king, why don't I talk with him? Right, what we want to focus on through this is, yes, the privilege of prayer, but man, how prayer, it is vital to everything that you and I do. The other reason I think this matters, especially if you're here and you're wrestling with God or you don't really like God or you have baggage from the church or you got dragged here just because you got dragged here, I get it. Been dragged to many a church services. Man, here's the reason why I think this matters. There's something amazing about the Christian faith. Right? And if you ever stop and think about this, especially when you compare it to other faiths around the world, there's something amazing about the Christian faith in that we believe I can speak you if you believe you can speak directly to God. Like you can use your breath to talk with the one who breathed the universe into existence. That he can somehow on a world, I think it's like 6.6 billion, when you pray, he hears you, 
He knows it. That when we pray, we don't have to come with some form of like superficial reverence where we have to do 14 things before we get there. No, like a kid bursting into their parents' room on a Saturday morning, jumping on the bed, waking them up way too early. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may find mercy to help in time of need. That's crazy. When we ask for God, he listens. That's why, guys, I think so much as you come and you consider this, prayer, as we, as we talk about Mother's Day and faithfulness in general, whether you've been coming to the Springs a long time or you're gonna come here one time and then never come back again, here's what you must know is true. When you love the king, you talk with him. When your heart says, God, I wanna live like you, my king, you talk with him. And that's what we're gonna see. Perseverance cannot be accomplished without prayer. We're gonna look at that in five ways. We are gonna read a lot of Bible, a lot of stuff today. The first thing we're gonna talk about is while we look at James 5, we're gonna finish the whole book. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 20. 13 through 20. We're gonna see five themes. Pray, no matter the situation. Pray, no matter the sickness. Pray, no matter the sin. Pray, no matter the scenario. You hear that? What is the theme of today? Pray, pray, pray. What if you say, I don't know how to pray? My question then is, can you talk? Like one of the things that people in my job, and I, and I can do this, we can overcomplicate it, right? We, we can overcome and say, I have to read this much Bible before. I have to come with an acknowledgement of the sovereign king first and then come with like this adoring heart and then ask for in the confession of my sins and then plead for what I need. Hey, I'd love to talk about Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer with y'all sometime. But here's what I'm telling you. Just talk with him. What are you feeling? Start there. What are you thinking? Start there. One of the greatest prayers that I pray, most consistent prayer in my life. God, I am here to talk to you. And honestly, I feel like I'm not going to get anything out of this. Yeah. It's honest, man. Right, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Enlarge my heart that I may run in the way of your commandments. An honest heart with a dad. Like you, you as a parent, right? And if you don't have kids, maybe you've babysat or you've been around kids. Like kids have this point where they run and they want to talk with you. Like they want to see dad as soon as they come home. They want to see mom. They're so excited. And then there's that season as they get older. They just walk through the door. Hey, mom. Hey, Dad, how's your day? Good. Right? Everything is monosyllabic. Am I saying that right? One syllable? Right? That's all that you can get out of them. Now, here's what I'm talking about. There's a God in heaven in the same way you with your child, you with a younger one. You don't sit there and hope that they have the perfect form of a prayer. Any parent just wants to talk to the child. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to pray. And then what happens when we do that? And this is going to be the fifth theme. What happens when you and I, we continue to grow in a life of prayer to one we love? We speak. It's amazing how James ends this. It's amazing. We speak. And we speak no matter the sinner. As we look at this text today, James, he's going to do a couple of things. James, he, he's the half younger brother of Jesus. 
he is going to throw some honest spiritual gut punches. He's been doing that for a long time in this book. Right? He will throw those, but with this blanket of a pleading heart, come. He's good. You could talk with him. He wants a life of perseverance. At the start of this book, we talked about James, the author. The guy, the guy who wrote this, he had a nickname. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Camel Knees. I know, kind of weird. Anybody here ever ridden a camel? Awesome. I have not. You could, you could vouch for this. I've seen National Geographic, though. Right, camels, because they get down on their knees, they end up having these callous pads. Because it's one of those when it's hot, it's on the sand or, or anywhere. When they get down, there's a callousness because they spent so much time down on their knees. James, his nickname, because he was such a man marked by prayer. The way his friends described him was old camel knees. Why? Because he knew the truth of what his big brother had said. He knew that his big brother, he died. And when Jesus died, James didn't believe he was the Messiah. And then Jesus comes back from the grave, shows himself to James, and it changes James' life. And what does a change like that lead to? Because of love, I will live my life on my knees in prayer. I want to live that kind of life. James wants you to live that kind of life. So let's jump into the text, man. Let's jump into the text. I'm going to read through it all, and then we're going to work our way through. So, so stay with me. We're going to go 13 through 20. 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. The earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering life will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Man, if you're here, we're going to talk about prayer, but it's one of those, especially if you grew up in church, there are so many different things to break down in this text to rightly understand. So we are going to move quick. First thing you see from this, right up there in verse 13, I'm going to read this one again. Is anyone among you suffering? What should the suffering do? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The first theme out of this section is we talk about how prayer, it's a mark of perseverance, is that we pray no matter the situation. What does James say? Hey, is anyone here suffering? Suffering here in Greek, it's kako patheo. It's the combination of two Greek words. We're not going to spend a lot of time in Greek. Kaka and patheo. Patheo, that, that's what leads to um, pathology today, the study of disease. 
Like if you go and you have to get a biopsy, you'd send it off to a pathologist because they're trying to determine what is the origin of the illness, the suffering and the pain. Kaka in grief, it just mean, in Greek, it just means bad. Right, if anyone here is a uh, fluent in Spanish, right, a couple of y'all are laughing. You know kaka, it means a little something else, right? Um, it's Mother's Day, so we're going to be really gracious. Just think like, James has a little bit of like bathroom sarcasm right here, right? Where essentially what he's talking about, man, it doesn't matter if it's like a legitimate illness or man, you are just having a difficult season of life. What should you and I do? Pray. What does he talk about after that? He says, hey, is anyone among you cheerful? What I love about this is Christians are not always marked by pain, not always marked by cheer, but man, we do have both. Right, is anyone among you cheerful? And he says, what should they do? They should sing praise. What's another way to say that? It's adoration, it's thanksgiving. What is that? Prayer. In the good times and in the bad. In the moments when it's easy, God, it's all going well. And in the moments when you get the phone call from the doctor that nobody wants. In, in the moments when you see a loved one, right, a family member in a far off way, they call you at a time when they don't normally call you. And your heart kind of skips a beat because you're wondering, is something wrong? In the moments when you're anticipating pain, you're enduring the brokenness of a rebellious marriage, you continue to walk in self-inflicted sin, what is he saying? Pray. In the moment when times are good, what do we do? Man, we sing praises. That has always been a mark of God's people. In the bad times, Father, help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to know that even when I don't get it, you are good. And then, man, when times are good, Father, I thank you. Glory to you for the good and the bad. I thank you. I'm at heart. Sing, church. We are to pray no matter the situation. Let's look at 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anybody here love essential oils? Danielle thought that was like a 21st century thing, right? Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord in the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Second thing Christians do is we pray, no matter the sickness, no matter the sickness. Here's what you're gonna start to see with this, and I'll show you in the word sick right here. James is going to interweave something that we in our culture try really hard to not combine. He's gonna show how physical health can be connected to spiritual health. Stay with me. We'll talk about it more. Right? He starts here, this word sick, it can literally mean two things, and it's determined by context. And I'll, I'll share with you, the context here shows, I, I think it's both. It can literally mean illness, sickness, all the way to weary of faith, downtrodden, doubting, discouraged, disbelieving. In both scenarios, right, spiritual physical. 
What does he say? Hey, call for the elders. Who are elders? Elders, biblically, are men who've been appointed to oversee the spiritual development of a church. Right now here at the Springs, we we believe every local church, biblically, is meant to be elder-led. What I mean by that is an overseeing group of men coming to care for the body that set a pace in a fear of God, a pursuit of holiness, and really, man, humility. That's why so much right now We're working so hard, myself and the other trustees, those are the folks who are leading the springs until the appointment of elders, to determine, to see who are those men. Because so many times what can happen is you just come and you find people who it's like, well, they seem good enough. No one is perfect. Elders set a pace. It's spiritual maturity. What James is saying here is, hey, when you're sick, weary of faith, or sick, call the elders. Ask them to come alongside you. And what do the spiritually mature always do every single time without fail? They pray. What's a mark of spiritual maturity? The realization, I can't, but God can. What is a mark of spiritual maturity? God, I'm asking for this, but your will be done. And he starts talking about essential oils, right? And this is one of those, especially depending on background. The, the, the next two verses have created so much confusion over the centuries. We're going to clear all that up as quickly as we can. Anointing with oil. The word anoint in your, in your Bible, it can have two meanings. To rub with oil, right? Picture anybody like getting a foot massage? Not a very interactive crowd. Okay, there's like two of y'all. Great, deal. We were going to give y'all Mother's Day foot massages, paid for free, but thankfully y'all don't want one. It was a good decision, right? Rub with oil. And there's another one. Ceremonially anoint. Consecrate. Like if you know your Bible, the Old Testament, King David, when he is anointed like Samuel comes and pours oil on his head, that's one type. And then there's, man, I'm going to rub you down with oil because you need help. Oil, especially in this first century, it was often used as a medicinal remedy. Yes, can it be a symbolic picture of healing in your life? Of course. But man, I'm telling you, and you see this throughout, like in your Bible, Jesus talks about, there's a famous parable, we're not going to look at it, the Good Samaritan. Basically, this guy gets beat up, this guy comes to help him out, and to help him out, he comes, and only brings wine to him, pours on his wounds, because wine back then was different than wine today, it was more of a disinfectant. And he says, hey, man, let me bandage you and rub you with oil. Anoint you with oil. He's coming to help him. It's this divine picture of, hey, elders, come. As much physical remedy as you can bring, bring it. But what must you be marked by? Prayer. And that's where so many times is a future elder of the springs. I have no fancy magical oil. My wife will only cook with avocado oil like we used to use extra virgin olive oil, but I have nothing fancy besides oil in my cabinet. This past week, a good friend of mine and member here was in the hospital. Went in there, he was gonna undergo surgery. They went into his heart, had to get splints put in first, and they were hoping and praying, well, hey, will he end up needing to get a pacemaker? So there I was, Christus, just right on the other side of town. Walked in there with friends, brought some other pastors, some cared ones who love him. And what did we do? We prayed for him. Here was the prayer, right? And there was two, two sessions to this. The prayer was, hey, God, would you come and would you supernaturally heal this man? 
to where there's an energy and a vitality to him that doesn't make sense. Would you come and do what only you can? But Father, if that's not your plan, may we have enough faith to trust your will. To where if that's not, God, would you bring him the best medical care that there is available? Would you bring in the best surgeon in the moments when he comes? If he needs to get a pacemaker and we're asking that he doesn't, would you bring him the best surgeon to make that happen? And then God, no matter what, would you give him the faith to walk with you? Church, there's no reality where you can come and just because you have enough faith, you can claim a healing in your life. Am I saying that God cannot supernaturally heal people? No, not at all. Not at all. But what I am saying is your New Testament does not say that that this right here, James, in the prayer of faith may be healed. It's a prayer offered by faith. Many times throughout your New Testament, you see people sick and there's not healing. Many times you see that. Church, we come and we pray no matter the sickness That sickness can be spiritual. That sickness can be physical. But where we can confuse people is we've come and say things, and these are evil and terrible. If you had enough faith, you would be healed. If you had enough faith, this wouldn't be happening to you. Or the person who comes, right, and says, hey, I will bring healing to your life. Red flag, it's God who raises people. It's never you. But you come and they pray for healing and healing doesn't happen and all of a sudden, it's our fault for not having enough faith. Here's a mark of spiritual maturity. Here's what elders come and do. Here's what the spiritually mature do. Because if you're a member here and you get sick and you go to the hospital and it's really serious, I'll try to come, but I'm not promising I will. But what you must have is people around you to come and pray for you. That's what we're all called to be. Prayer. It marks us no matter the season, no matter the moment. But prayer and healing, it's not a genie in a bottle here. James, later on in life, he'll go, God, if if there was no faith, this pain wouldn't be happening to me. He gets thrown off of a 10-story building and he doesn't die. At the end of the fall, he's then stoned to death. His friends, Timothy, endured sickness and pain, right? Was there praying for Timothy? No doubt. But was there also, hey, Timothy, seek what would have been then their version of medical care. So church, here's what I'm saying. Pray by faith, ask for what you want, and then trust God no matter what. We pray no matter the sickness, the spiritual weariness, or the illness itself. And then let's see, man, it gets a little trickier. Let's see where it keeps going, right? This is exciting. Starting again at 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And now we start to get more of this contextual theme of why did I talk before about the connection between the emotional, physical, and the spiritual. Here's what we see here in verse, the rest of 15 and 16. And if he has committed sins, now we're talking about sins in the middle of sickness, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what does he say? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person 
has great power in its working. Here's what James just did. He, he did something, I'm explaining this. He, he connected your spiritual health with your emotional and then your physical. You could go on, like in society today, we, we'd want to make sure to also contextualize mental. Right here, let me give you an example. We have the privilege, we run a discipleship program here on Monday nights that cares for anybody. Doesn't matter who you are, what, you're, what issues you're working through, it disciples you in the love of Christ. We were invited to a mental advocacy care group, a group of folks around here, professionals leading in the mental care outlet. They love the time, they're excited, want to send people to it. A, a friend of mine, a pastor on staff, he, he went to go and oversee this meeting. And he and I met and we talked before and I said, hey man, here's some things you gotta be thoughtful of that when you go to communicate with them, here's some things they really need to know. We believe, and everything we believe will be based on scripture, that, holi- that healing is holistic. There is a combination of emotional, physical, spiritual. Let me prove it to you that Jesus always meant this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, emotion, soul, spiritual, strength, physical. He wants all your physical health. He wants all your spiritual health. He wants all of your emotional health. What does that bring change and transformation to? What does that bring perseverance in? Mental health. Church, here's the reason I share that. Not every sickness is connected with spiritual health. There's no way. But there are some sicknesses that are absolutely connected with spiritual health. And this is one of those, especially in a society where we continue to talk about this, it almost feels taboo, but here's what you gotta know at the springs. The springs will always be a place where with scripture, us as God's people lean into the conversation in particular where it's gone with mental health. There are ways that sin impacts and brings sickness and a brokenness of thought. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. You think that, even though God says you're worthy, you think that and you change the neural pathways of your brain for an extended period of time and guess what it does? It leads to a sense of worthlessness, depression, and self-hate. What is the solution there? Remembering, reminding, pleading with God to know, how does he love me? That's why so many times, here's what happens when sin remains unconfessed. It sickens the heart. It'll hurt you. It will hurt me spiritually, emotionally, physically. You see this repeated throughout the Old Testament and the life of David. You see it all throughout the Proverbs and the health and the heart. I was reading about today in Proverbs 3. Church, the reason we come And in sin, confess that to others. Confess, all it means is to acknowledge. Right, here's this path of confession. You acknowledge before God and then with others because there's sin that creeps into your heart that literally takes down, breaks apart. Joy. Identity, who you are, who he's made you to be, what's true of you. If you grew up in an environment where it was ingrained that you're broken, guess what? The only way out of that is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your soul and transforming your mind. Does that mean that we do not partner with modern medicine to help people pursue health? No. 
Does that mean that if you have sin, it's your fault and you should never pursue modern medicine? What I'm talking about here, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds. I'm not shaming anyone for that. It's not what I'm doing. But man, if you need those tools to catch your breath, praise God, but church, once you catch your breath, do soul work. Examine what's there. See what's going on. God wants to bring health to the depth of you. He wants to do it all, church. That's why when we come, we don't keep things to ourselves. Right before I shared this, somebody came up, and they're like, because they knew the, the section we were talking about, and they said, man, John, confession, it's an easier thing to me. It's not that hard. Now, for some of y'all, when it comes to there's things in your life that it came to you confessing and acknowledging before God, you're like, sure, I can do that. But then before his people, trusted members of a community around you who's totally for you, who, as you share, says there's no condemnation, that he who's without sin, they could throw a stone at you, but I'm a sinner, so I can't throw a stone at you. But when it comes to even getting around a group of people like that, you say there's no way. That will lead. That will create a confused conscience, a hurting heart, and yes, church, physical sickness. I share all that, man. Let me give you two stories. Last week, there was a gal in my community group who called and said, hey, I have strep. I'm not going to be able to make it. Guess what we didn't do? Go over to her house and say, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? <laughs> it's not what we did. Like immediately, I'm thinking, how do we get her some antibiotics? Right? There's a CVS. We got Minute Clinic. There's Urgent Care. Like, how do we get her connected? Then I got, I got another friend, right, who this past season, he'd tell you, hey, he'd been walking through a really hard time. Things in his life had been difficult. It had been through a depression and anxiety. Through a, a community of people around him, faithful folks pointing him towards Jesus Christ, he took a huge step of faith recently. He came and he confessed a past and at times more persistent than what he would like. Addiction to pornography. It was something he'd hid from his wife. It was something he'd hid from those who loved him, who were around him. And man, he came and upon prompting, he'd already acknowledged it before God, but God never wants you to stop there because he wants real repentance to happen. And repentance does not occur without healing in prayer and God's people coming around you. You're not meant to do it alone, but he confessed that. Was that hard for his wife? Of course, of course. Would they both say their marriage is fundamentally better now? Absolutely. Would she say she has a stronger sense of intimacy? Absolutely. What did he feel, guys? What did he feel? In his words, a tremendous sense of relief. It felt like this weight had been taken off of me, it felt like this conflicting fellowship with God was no longer conflicting. It was intimate. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Church, we pray. No matter the situation, no matter the sickness, we pray no matter the sin. The only way, here's, here's I gotta say this, the only way we'll really do that is if we sincerely love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
and we believe what his baby brother told us. We pray. Let me show you an example of somebody who lived a life like this. His name's Elijah, starting here in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. What James is doing is he's pleading with you and I to live a life marked by prayer. He's going to set us up with a final example that shows, man, we pray no matter the scenario. I wish I had more time to teach it. If you want to go and read specifically about what James is talking about, you can go check it out, 1 Kings 17 through 19. In short, Elijah, he was a prophet to God's people. He was a spiritual leader. And God's people were going away from God rebelling against him, saying, I don't want what you want. I say that you're true, but in reality, I don't live that way. And Elijah came, and knowing what what happens, what does any good parent do with a child? They bring gracious, loving, firm discipline. And Elijah goes and he prays, God, would you stop the rain? If you stop the rain, and particularly what was an agrarian society... If you stop the rain, that will drive them to their knees and they'll have to look up. So he prayed, God, would you stop the rain? God stopped it for three years. Guess what? Didn't drive them to their knees. They didn't look up. There was a leader over them by the name of King Ahab, bad dude. He had a crazy wife named Jezebel. They were both leading the people towards a false god named Baal. Elijah goes, and these priests, these leaders of a false god named Baal, he goes, and he essentially does battle with them. It's awesome. He, like, mocks them, says, hey, if your god can do this, all right, prove it. And then if my god can do it, all right, he'll prove it. And God totally shows up. And why? Because Elijah asked him to. Elijah then goes, and he brings justice to these false teachers. And upon that, he, he stops and says, okay, God, with justice to the false leadership, bring back the rain. There's this moment where he's got the servant going back and forth, and it shows his heart of perseverance, even in prayer. But guess what God does? He brings back the rain. The reason why I love this story so much is that it doesn't end there. Right after Elijah has done these amazing things, like had this prayer warrior-like type faith, he goes and he does all of that, he freaks out because King Ahab, his wife, Jezebel, crazy lady, wants to kill him. He has an emotional breakdown, throws him into a tizzy fit, and God looks at him and says, hey, man, go rest. Take a nap. Let's eat some food. I share all that because, man, we are called to pray like this, and there's a reason James starts out, Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. Because I think you do what I can do. I read about Elijah, and I'm like, well, that dude was just special, man. Like, that guy had, like, a special allotment of the Spirit. Like, he didn't have doubts. He didn't have insecurities. He didn't have worries. Like, he just loved praying all day long. That's all he ever wanted to do. Didn't want to take a break. Didn't want to go play. I don't really know what sports were available back then. Like, if he had access to ESPN, he would not watch ESPN. Like, he would just sit there and read his Old Testament. Like, Elijah was special. No. He was insecure. He faced doubts. He pled for God to show up. He needed help. He was a man with a nature just like ours. I think that's when, when it comes to prayer, we can have this tendency to just kind of check out, to kind of think, I know I'm supposed to, but really, God, 
I know that I should, but really, God. I know it will help me, but really, God. And James is putting Elijah here to say, it's true. Talk with the one who loves you. Talk with the one who wants to help you. Talk with the one who's already forgiven you before you even go to confess the sin. Talk with the king. And what happens when we live like that? Like what happens, church, if you and I like sincerely live like that? Verses 19 and 20. Let's check them out. 19 and 20. My brothers, it's talking to us, church. Hey, hey, family of God. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is the ending to a New Testament letter. Oftentimes, New Testament letters, you can check them out. They're very different than this. They end with, hey, greetings to you. Say hi to these people. I'm praying for you that the grace of God, it's like this beautiful conclusion almost. And what does James do? James throws one more spiritual haymaker. Because what he's done is he just listed this entire book and then this life of prayer that says, be marked by faithfulness. Plead for faithfulness. And he says, if you do that across every area, not just prayer, but if you've tracked with us how you steward your wealth, how you steward your purity, how you examine trials, temptations, your commitment to God's will and not your plan, humility being something you love, not some form of false humility that you hide behind. Wisdom being something that we seek. Conflict being something that we put to death. All those areas. He says, what happens when in light of those, we pray to where we can persevere through each and every single one of them? What happens to the people of God? When one of us wonders, they go to turn the other back. When one of us begins to drift off of truth because your heart is just like mine. It has a tendency to drift. And the people of God love each other enough to go and say, hey, come back. And when they do that, what happens? They will save their soul from death. Their soul, it's their body, death being the temporal pain that comes from everything. There's the freedom that comes from grace and God. This is an absolute differentiator of the local church. Like if we so love this, if we say, help us be a, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also, guys. This is the book of James. This is the worthy work. Will we help each other? And here's what's really hard. Help looks like going to other people and saying, that wasn't your best. Language I tend to like is, hey man, here's what I saw. Help me to see if I'm missing something. But this doesn't seem like Christ in you. In pointing out everything from, hey, your selfish stewardship of your money, your broken tolerance of sexual sin in your life and acting like God doesn't care. The control that marks you as you try to say, no, life will go my way rather than, all right, God, it's yours. The conflict that's created from quarrels and dissensions among us that we just tolerate rather than strive to be a peacemaker and where there's unity amongst us. 
lives of prayer that we know should be there, but people don't pursue. Church, if you believe in Jesus, that love demands that as iron sharpens iron, iron, you so help sharpen one another. That while deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, you don't just come and give false flattery. Blessed are the wounds of a friend. There's no love in the toleration of spiritual apathy. There's no love in the toleration of sin. How does all that come together? Where does that worthy work play out? Here at the Springs in your community groups. It happens when on a weekly basis, you don't show up to meetings because you're supposed to. You show up with a heart, even though you won't always want this, that says, will you help me be more like my king? Will you help me love him more? Not out of legalism, out of love. What does that build? Perseverance, joy, peace. Church, you and I are meant You and I are meant to demonstrate something worthy to the world. It is what we are meant to give our lives to because he died for us. We do not earn our way to heaven. We don't do things to become uh, acceptable to God. Jesus Christ died for every bit of sin in your life and in mine because we weren't acceptable. He rose from the grave pleading with you and pleading with me. Believe. If you believe, follow me and help me tell the world. Church, that is the worthy work. That is you and I fighting because of love, not legalism, to live a life where obedience is an honest characteristic, where a zeal for the things of God actually mark us, not not going through. And this is where I can do this so easy in my life. You can do it easy in yours. And man, just this routine of Christianity. Like if you're caught in a routine of Christianity, I'd honestly ask you, an application out of today is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? My guess is that many folks, they just don't really know any different. But I'm guessing when I talk about things like love and joy and the abundant life, you think to yourself, I don't know if that's really true. Church, if that's where you're at, We want to help. Because as we pursue that, we become the place God has always tended. Let me pray that we would do that, and then we're going to invite the seniors up here for a final prayer, commissioning, and send-off. Father, I thank you for the truth of this text, for what you're doing just through us as we come and we examine the worthy work, how how you don't ask us to be better, you just call us to more. Lord, I'm praying that our lives would be lives marked by prayer, that we would be people who trust in you and who love you and from that love want to follow after you. We need your help to do that in every area. As we look at this book, what we don't want to do is come and be hearers of it and not doers only. We want to come and be people who out of a love for you and out of a trust in you, walk by faith. I need your help to do that. We need your help to do that. So Father, commission our hearts.
to the worthy work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.